Welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, where today we will discuss Chapter 4 of Observing the Craft, The Pursuit of Excellence. Ladies and gentlemen, brethren all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our thoughts and opinions are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies. Please connect with us and ask questions via our website at theworkingtoolspodcast.com. Hi, I'm Matt Apple, and I am a Mason here in Washington, uh, uh, Mill Creek Lodge, number 243 in Montlake Terrace. And I am joined today by two of our three other hosts. We have very worshipful brother David Colbeth from King Solomon, number 60, and worshipful brother Stephen Chung from Prince Charles, number 153. Um, the first one of those is in Auburn, Washington, and the second in uh, Kelowna, British Columbia. So I, I've already messed up the introductions. But uh, today we'll be discussing Chapter 4 of Observing the Craft. But before we get there, I want to ask Steve, um, I meant to ask in the Blue Room, but I forgot, so I'll do it on the air now. Uh, do you still have a house full of people? How are things uh, with the fires up there? Are, are you? Everybody got to go home today. Uh, this afternoon, the last uh, of the house guests uh, went home and uh, not any of They all have homes to go back to. Um, and the power was on the whole time for all of them, so they didn't have any freezer spoil or anything like that a little bit of smell uh because somebody had left a window open um but the other people that closed all their windows and and just left the ac unit on they uh um got some filters to clean but other than that everything is is good for all of them unfortunately can't say that for the rest of the uh uh people there was a couple hundred homes lost uh, in uh uh, fires that I know of. Uh, I'm not up to date on the numbers, but at last count, I had heard there was a couple hundred. So my thoughts and prayers go out to the families that are, are suffering from that now. Um, and I'm sure there will be a lot of relief work done over the next uh, couple months and uh, helping these people um, get situated. Yeah, here, here. I, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Steve up in Kelowna, across the across the river in West Kelowna, there was a, a series of wildfires and houses burned down like steve was just saying and, and actually got... it jumped the lake we oh, never it thought really? it would but it jumped the lake and Kelowna oh, went on fire our dump is on fire still we're not allowed back in there uh, still doing some back burning in Kelowna and west Kelowna. uh um, the simpsons so... the tire fire that burns forever yeah but, who uh, thought, who, who'd have thought it would jump the lake that, that's quite the span yeah so steve got to practice some some masonic charity if you will and help out the about some people he knew around there and, and uh a i agree uh, with you on my prayers are definitely cats. people up there and two uh, i note eight cats i took in eight cats two dogs six humans and um yeah and the rest of our family was here so Excellent. note that eight cats <laughs> it's a lot of litter boxes to change no, actually only two, and I didn't have to worry about it. Their owners were great. They took care of them. It's, it's awesome. Oh, cool. So um, today, to get to get back to the topic at hand, we're discussing Chapter 4 of uh, of Observing the Craft. It sort of is a, I felt like it was a kickoff summary chapter for the next three chapters about ritual and dress and, uh, and uh, dining in the craft and how they should be 
excellent, if you will. Um, I, I felt like this was both a, a chapter in and of itself and a, sort of the next three chapters condensed into one. Yeah, but, I agree. I agree, yeah. Yeah, that, that came out uh, very very well said because I, I was feeling the same way about it, uh, even though it's a chapter in its own and, and a long one at that. Um, it was a summary and an intro to them all. So did, I mean, what stood out to you guys about it as far as I could ramble on, but what? Well, I think I mentioned it in the previous recording too, but right off the bat, he talks about that masonry, this, this idea of scarcity is, you know, a commodity it gives a commodity its value. But so he was, in my mind, he was comparing masonry to a commodity and, I wasn't sure if that was a good comparison or bad comparison. Jared had a good point that it it was. It's not so much that it was comparing it to actual commodity like a you know wheat or some you know some kind of fuel or whatever actual commodities, but but that it should be treated as if it were a scarcity. And I think that's the underlying the opening quote from Preston is really really it's a it's a great opening quote. And so I, I think that he's just trying to impress upon us that we should consider it a scarce thing and not necessarily available to everyone or you know, should necessarily take in everyone. So just for those who don't have their book in front of them, the quote's short enough that I'll go ahead and read it into the record here. Were the privilege of masonry to be common or indiscriminately bestowed, the design of the institution would be subverted. For being familiar, like many other important matters, they would soon lose their value and sink into disregard. That's my grand order voice right there. <laughs> well yeah. done, yeah. Uh, I, I agree. I mean, it, it's... <clears throat> if it's commonplace and, and, and it's really available for anyone, um, it, it, I can see where, where they're talking about the value. Um it's not as valuable. Um, and we often talk, get into that kind of conversation when we talk about dues. Um, you know, a lot of the brethren go, well, you know, I pay a lot of more money at, at the Rotary and I pay for every event. And, and you know, um, and, and I said, well, why do you do that? They said, well, because there's value there, right? And they get some value out of it. And hopefully um you know the guys are getting what they're looking for out of lodge and seeing the value in in lodge you know um i don't i i always struggle when guys talk about the the dues and um and and then of course the value that they're getting for it or not getting for it etc um you know because it's it's a matter of of contribution and again the, and he says it in the pursuit really to be in pursuit of the excellence that that masonry is known for i think that i think that adds to the mystique of why a lot of people join masonry too right i mean they they to some it's like being on a pedestal i think when he kind of relates it to the romans in the beginning as well that to to be a Roman in the past was an important and, and grand thing. Uh, but then later, as Roman Empire took over and was more pre uh, prevalent, <laughs> he he talks about it being eventually 
the even reached the barbarians at the gate. <laughs> I had a laugh when I read that, thinking, you know, it, it's it's it had become so commonplace to be a Roman that it wasn't as important or prestigious to be a Roman, and so. I, I can't imagine Freemasonry ever getting to the barbarian to the gate, if you will. But uh, <laughs> although a lot of uh, jurisdictions are instituting uh, uh, background checks, and so maybe it, maybe in some instances, uh, it is to most of that point. But he also goes on to talk about that university educations. You know, it used to be that having university education was a really high pedestal and something to really look forward to or look up to and was really valued. And now almost any job requires university education of some, it's like a basis. Right? Yeah. Any master's yeah. or higher degrees required. And, 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 and he also talks about the institutions that used to be, um, you know, uh, touted as being the, the, you know, like going to Harvard or MIT or, or you know, this, they used to be special, yeah. but now access to them is commonplace. And if you've got the prerequisites of the previous education requirements, anybody can go there. Uh, so I, I get it. And, and that's one of the things that I guess where masonry is different than, than any other organization uh, is the fact that you have to have two guys uh, that are master masons in the same lodge sponsor you and, and be willing to sign your petition and recommend you um, for one. And you can still be um, denied membership um, through the voting process. Um, you know, so uh, I, don't know, I, I think that, that that that's what I guess gives us the ability to be seen as different right right now i i think that there's a lot of um people talking about membership numbers and and recruitment and, and marketing and and things like that to rebuild the membership numbers and so on and i think that there could be a lot of mistakes coming uh from the pursuit of membership rather than the pursuit of excellence all right so now is the time when apple says something stupid and everybody says you're stupid here we go i i want masonry to be for everyone i want everyone in this on this god's green earth here oh i guess half the population but anyway you get the idea to be a Mason, because I want them all to be worthy of being Masons. I agree that some people are not right now. I'm I'm not saying we should go into wherever, go into the the courtrooms and say, hey, what are you accused of? Come on, be a Mason. That's not what I'm saying. But if everybody in the country were, were in North America were worthy of being a Mason, let's make them all Masons. I think this scarcity thing is kind of a I mean, I don't want it to be scarce. I want us all to be awesome and us all to be brothers. And let's go. I'm going to channel my inner Jared. No. <laughs> uh, come on. I mean, so who, I guess my first question is, does anybody know, because I, I don't, I am not a scholar of ancient Roman anything. 
it, is Andrew Hammer knowledgeable in the, the ways of such things? Is that his area of expertise? He's like a diplomat, isn't he? So I, I have no idea about that, but I, I would have a sense from the guy that he wouldn't necessarily write something that couldn't be backed up or justified. I can't imagine he would add something. I, I agree that seems logical, but I would want to know in what way that Roman citizenship was devalued. What what is the what is the well, metric it, by which he's asserting that? It became that. commonplace, and so it wasn't so? it wasn't elite at that point. The idea, okay. Was, well, that that's the he was just trying to, uh, to correlate the different the common the commonality of scarcity. So we shouldn't have let women vote because that made it less scarce. That's a different topic, I think. <laughs> That's extending citizenship to more people. Citizenship is not Freemasonry. I uh, we're talking about Roman citizenship here. Making did, did Roman citizenship get devalued by more people being Roman citizens? I don't know. I and I suspect that. So my argue my my further. My almost even bigger argument with this is that these things, the university education and the citizenship and the scarcity, are almost to make it seem, and this is my argument about the dress thing too, to make it seem more valuable to non-Masons almost. Like, ooh, like I think Steve just said, like, you know, it made us, put us on a pedestal. It made us seem different. It It's that, so what is the, if dressing, okay, so I shouldn't be talking about dressing because that's next chapter, two chapters from now. So I should <laughs> I should let that one go. But I, I have issues. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong now. Let it out, Matt. Let it out. It's okay. <laughs> no, Matt, I think what Matt's saying is that he wishes everybody were would live by or... Um, yeah, I suppose live by the philosophy of masonry, um, you know, and, and to be a good person and, and to be the best of themselves. Um, uh, but they can, they can be that though. Know, they uh, can, they can be good people. And he talks about it later in the, in the, we hope that all good citizens, are, all, all citizens are good, but they're, and, but not all, not citizens have to be Freemasons. And so Freemasonry, Freemasons are a, a avenue, if you will, to, to develop people, men, th th into a status that then they want to go out and be good citizens and show that good citizenry to the other citizens to help them continue to maintain. But Freemasonry itself is the, the the word elitist is a harsh word, but it's it's a, a segment. It's not an entire population. And I have the same thoughts like Stephen was saying about uh, the Harvard MIT comparison. Yeah, hell yeah. If someone has the grades, to get, the brains to get into Harvard, send them to freaking Harvard. Put them in MIT. Great. Excellent. They'll get a great education. Woohoo. I, but not everybody can afford to go to Harvard or MIT. Uh, I wish they could. I wish that everyone who was smart enough could go there. But wishing it doesn't make it happen. I agree. Yeah. Just like with Freemasonry, you can wish everybody to be a Freemason, but not everybody can or will or wants to be a Freemason. Uh, I I hundred percent agree. Yep. You know, and you know, to that to that point, <clears throat> I'm going to uh 
uh, find uh, something. And we were preparing for our, our going back to lodge in September. And uh, they asked the question, you know, the, what's the status of, you know, the guys that have reached out and are in the six-step program, right? And so it was a um, request that we contact these fellows and see if they're still interested in moving forward. And um, so I put the message out, and, of course, this uh, um, uh, sparked a, a series of emails. And, and you know, it, it, it's, it, it, it kind of falls in line. But here's the, the comments of the, of the first reply. Please indulge the following observation. While the message below may fall within the realm of retention, my view on it has, uh, has been and continues to be that it amounts to chasing, which is not something that we as a fraternity do. Anyone that we have to chase has experienced the same interview process uh, in which they are told and acknowledge the clear message that the next step is up to them and that we will not uh, chase them. It is up to them to follow up with us if they still wish to pursue, right? And then he says, if we have to chase, we're after the wrong people. I'm well aware of the need for ongoing regeneration, but this should at the very least be the subject of a sit down by the lodge leadership in my humble view. Right. And so, you know, it does speak to a bit to the elitism theory uh, of, of that um, and that we don't pursue membership. We don't um, chase for members. Right. And Mark, uh, you know, and so, uh, we're going to have some interesting conversations uh, in the next several weeks over this, I'm sure. It, but he also goes on to say that his concern really is that if everybody becomes a Mason, then it'll become just commonplace and it'll become a social rather than a singular enterprise. I agree. His inevitably, that's what his thought is. And because based on experience, right? As through the fifties, when we had a huge surge globally, but mostly North America of Masons, it, it, it became different because every, every man that came in brought his thing into Masonry and it, it became his Masonry rather than Freemasonry. Right. Which is what it, and what, which is what the whole book is about trying to get back to what Andrew Hammer at least believes is freemasonry and so one of the aspects he's concerned about is that if everybody was a freemason now if if everybody was a freemason and it completely adopted the ideas of observance he might be okay with that but in his experience and he believes inevitably that that's not the case and i have thoughts on that too well come on but I think that we are about at the end of our allotted time for this episode. Yes. Uh, we're only on the third page, man. <laughs> we, can, we can, we can out another five minutes or so. We'll, be, we'll have 18 <laughs> episodes about this chapter. Well, that'd be all right. 
we do have to finish before into 2023, but that's, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess. So, you know, it, it's like in here, he, he writes, masonry calls uh, us to excellence or what one might specifically refer to as the perfection of the stones with which we work. Excellence is a word so commonly used today to describe the degree of quality of a thing that one fears we might forget that it is a noun derived from a verb. To excel means to surpass someone or something, to be better than others in a particular uh, quality or action. Um, The etymology of the word from its Latin origin reveals an engaging meaning for Masons to rise from or to rise up. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I, I wish it was for everybody, but when we talk about Freemasonry and what we do, and not just the theory of being a good person, the other stuff that we do, the the ritual work, the the education pieces, the uh, lectures that are given, um, you know, the the brethren who deliver these pieces of work um, strive for to deliver them well, to to have impact and and meaning to the person receiving them, right? And so uh, that's a little different. I don't think everybody can do that. So. I, I kind of got to agree with the statement that it's not, uh, not everyone can do it. Not every, it's not for everyone. Right. I, th- I, I think that it should be available and um, accepting to anyone who is pursuing it that qualifies um, in the eyes of the fraternity. Right. Um, and I wish more people would pursue it. Um but I think the the membership in Freemasonry is a little different topic than the pursuit of excellence in Freemasonry. You know, the pursuit of excellence talks about the everyone striving to be the best they can possibly be, the best ritualist, the best uh, man. The, you know, to to uh, um, you know, I guess it, as we refer to. Uh, sh- uh, smoothing the rough edges of our own stones and working hard at it. Yeah, and he, he he requires excellence of every member. And I think, again, that goes back to the idea of not everybody could be a member necessarily or should be a member because not everybody is always looking for excellence. And it's not just in ritual. It's not just in these things, but it's also, as you said, just beyond the ritual themselves, but also understanding and advancing and what are we really doing here in Freemasonry? What is the business in which we're meant to be engaged, as he says? And so that, like you said, pursuit of excellence in every aspect of our life. And then that continues. And it's a lifetime of self-development and wanting to be better and to bring that to the, not necessarily to just to ourselves and also to those around us, but the, community at large the public at large and to show that we are good men i a thousand percent agree we should be pursuing excellence in ourselves and we should be bettering ourselves and i also agree the part about the ritual those who are delivering the ritual should be doing 
an ideal world, not the perfect ritualist. Sorry, my finger disappears when I do that. Not the perfect ritualist. I'm in an ideal world. We would, and we should be striving for improving ourselves in the ritual and delivering excellent quality ritual. Absolutely. Underline striving. What's that? I'm sorry. Underline striving. <laughs> yes. I don't see how scarcity helps that. Well, again, if we go back, go back to the first page. <laughs> and and it, it's not so much that I think it's it's not so much even that he. If if the experience in the past hadn't shown the result, I don't think he had woven that into this idea. But in his experience and what he was able has been able to research, or at least provided. Now, maybe it is. Maybe he is a bit of a storyteller. Maybe he is weaving the words so that it fits into the the dialogue that he wants. I don't know. Uh, I don't know him that well. And, I, you know, <laughs> it's quite possible that he chose those words so that he could get his point across. But what I see, what I read in there is more that in the experience and in, in the past of Freemasonry, it has become the everyman's Freemason and not the Freemasonry of the past. And that's why I think he thinks that scarcity is important to maintain that excellence, to maintain those things. So if one accepts the origin of Freemasonry as being from the trade guilds of Scotland and England and, and that origin story and does not subscribe to the, the hypothesis that it started with whatever, Noah or etc., then when the original tradesmen admitted whoever, de Gaulier and St. Clair and, and all those guys way back in time, were they making Freemasonry less or more accessible and less excellent and they should not, Freemasonry shouldn't, basically should still be a trade union? I mean, they admitted other men who formed Freemasonry into something which it was not right did well first of all do we believe the stories uh, given that given that the origins are a bit obscure shall we say yeah I, my belief isn't true isn't that well so here's the surgical table of life freemasonry i don't believe that the freemasons actually took the freemasonry guilds and and became you know the, the story we talk about how we were woven into the guilds of freemasonry i think they just saw a cool structure and said hey let's mimic that it's a it's a good system and we can utilize these symbols and i don't i don't think that was actually freemasons i mean maybe maybe that because they were the elitist guys in the time because they and it's being a being an operative mason was a scarce element not everybody could be an operative mason and he does weave it in later. He talks about, we can get to it in the next segments, but he talks about how if it would, it'd be almost impossible for a master to teach a thousand apprentices. But if a master teaches 10 and they become masters, then those 10 can teach 10. And like the Brett commercial, everybody gets their hair washed. Uh, <laughs> and then eventually we're all Masons. Well, maybe, or at least it's the idea of mastery is taught easier in small groups rather than to the masses is what his point was. But that's another section. Well, it sounds like David says we're moving on to the next segment. So, 
<laughs> um, but um, yeah, seriously, we have more more about this to talk about, I think, and it's been a little bit, so we can move on to the, the next segment, I think. So on behalf of, uh, oh, first of all, I want to say, actually, I met a gentleman, this is probably a Blue Room conversation, but I'll toss it out there. Uh, at I was in um, was on the, the Hood Canal for a degree, outdoor degree this weekend, and they uh, there was a guy came up to me and I was introducing myself and I'm trying to do better at remembering names and faces because I'm really not so good at it. And he comes up to me and says, and I know who you are. And I was like, oh, geez, somebody else I've met who his name I don't remember. And then he goes, because I, I listen to your podcast. So Brother Patrick McHenry, thank you. <laughs> it was good to talk to you this weekend. But uh, yeah, so it was, you know, anyway, it was a great event. But the point is, it's just cool to get feedback from people out there and a lot of the easy way for us to get that feedback is on either on social media or emails or YouTube or whatever. And we look forward to, uh, to your comments and uh, to hearing what your thoughts. And as you can tell, we, once in a while, we don't all agree on something and it's, uh, it's nice to hear other people's opinions, hopefully when they agree with me. So, uh, with that, uh, what a behalf of, uh, David and Stephen and the absent Jared and myself, I want to thank you all for listening to the working tools podcast and we'll see you again soon. Goodbye.